Welcome to the Christway Connect podcast, creating pathways, connecting people to Christ, to others, to purpose. Welcome to the Christway Connect podcast. This is the place we love to say Jesus is the way and everything else is a conversation. So welcome to the conversation today. We are a couple of weeks in to a uh, eight-part series, an eight-part series over the summer. Weather's better, so we are trying to get outside of ourselves. And we did a mission the last couple of weeks. So uh, this past Sunday, Melinda delivered the message for the day, and Melinda is with us in Delhi and Arnick. Hello, everybody. And I am Andy. It's uh, good to have you with us and joining us today. So uh, as we have moved two weeks through this, we heard some stories, uh, some from the Bible, some from contemporary culture uh, regarding mission and uh, living outside of ourselves. We leveraged uh, Mother's Day and calling it Other's Day, and essentially that um, a mother's love is an other's love, uh, thinking of, of other people. What kind of things were takeaways now that we're a couple of, week, a couple of weeks into this uh, or from, from this past Sunday that you might be feeling as far as a thread or something specific that touched you? So I get the privilege of setting up the sermons for media. And when I saw the two scriptures that Melinda had, uh, John 1 and 14, and then I believe it was Luke, Luke 10, 20, mm-hmm, 27. 27, yeah. Just what those two scriptures are about, loving your neighbor. Uh, that one is clear as day. But then using John 1 and 14, in that context of of service, I thought that was special. Uh, And I've kind of been meditating on that since the sermon was preached Sunday. I'm just thinking a lot about what the scripture says is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there's so many takeaways that I have from that one specifically is, you know, the call to preach and the call to do great things and present the gospel and whatever your gifting is in the body of Christ has to at some point become the living call as opposed to just serving within the context of people that are already believers. And I thought that was very clear, that use of that scripture, the world, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We have to be among the people. And that mission sometimes feels like this optional part of knowing God, this optional part of your relationship with the kingdom. And it's not optional. You have to perform the gifts of God and serve people, but you also have to become uh, visible flesh, dwell among the people, and be missional. So that convicted me. I thought that was unbelievable. So I think it's interesting that you say optional, uh, and I'm thinking of my mind went to like college work. And uh, maybe you have a class that's an elective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about, uh, and of course, people could say, okay, here's my, here's my major, but I'm just taking this class as an elective. Like mission is an elective. And I wondered about, um, let's call it high school diploma, bachelor's degree, master's degree. Mm-hmm. Some people might feel like missions is like for the master's degree Christian, mm-hmm. right? Uh, everybody else is... Great if you can get a bachelor's degree, it's awesome, but you have to like go over and above 
to get a master's degree. That's not for everybody. And, 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 you know, maybe mission is not for everybody when in fact we believe and try to practice mission is part of the eight steps. Right. It's actually step six and our five in our world. Step five, six is giving five is mission. And of those eight steps, they build on each other. So we talk about attending. We talk about doing discovery and kind of figuring out what this church is all about. Uh, baptism as a, an expression of faith and then step four connection step five engagement or mission mm-hmm. step six giving step seven serving mm-hmm. and step eight step eight replicating yourself mentoring leadership right so it is not one of the i got my high school diploma i got my master's or my bachelor's degree and uh, i don't i think i'm good here right yeah mission is not really an optional opportunity for us it's it's a fundamental part of of our of our walk with the Lord and Christ being formed in us. I was thinking about this as a as a verse as well. When when Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. Right. And if that's the model, that's the model. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, as you're saying that I'm thinking of uh, you you referenced Luke. Luke 10, so I pulled it up because I, I had read it on Sunday, but then I kind of looked. At the I context. Like to, I like to look at the context. Yeah. You know, I always like to look at the context. Yeah. Um, the and it's in the it's in the parable of uh, the Good Samaritan. But he right before it, so he says, he answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Like that's what you referenced, the right. 20, verse 27. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jesus says, you answered correctly. And then Jesus replied, do this and you will live, mm. right? So we're talking about abundant life a right. little bit in regards to the steps of what you referenced, right? Um, so do this and you will live. And then, of course, he goes on and he's like, well, who's my neighbor? And you know, he goes through the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. At the end of it, again, he says, uh, the expert in the law replied, the one who has mercy on him, right? So he's answering to the parable. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Likewise, go and yeah. do likewise. Go and do likewise. Like this, I'm, I'm to be as me, to be a follower of me, like do this and you will live. Like go and do likewise, just as I am telling you. And he, the same thing when he talks about, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then he also says, go and do just as I have done to you. I washed your feet, <laughs> right? Like that. that's just go and do this. It's... Well, he tells Peter, if you don't do this, he's like, and if I don't do it, you have no part of me. Yeah. What? Like what? <laughs> yeah. Right. And we're just adding it on. We're saying, you know, it's one of the steps to abundant life. You can be saved, but we're actually talking. And Jesus said, you know, I can't bring life and that more abundantly. Mm-hmm. So he made a distinction between the two. Yeah. Right. So we're talking about abundant living. The parable of the Samaritan, uh, he connected, he stopped, he was missional, he gave, mm-hmm. right? He dropped money off at the hotel. Yeah. And said, here, this should cover his expenses. I'm coming back, mm-hmm. which is also a beautiful part of mission, not just a one-hit kind of wonder thing, right. but can we be uh, systemically missional in people's lives and in communities and in ministries and in countries? So he came back, mm-hmm. and he said, if there's any more charge, I'll get it. I'll cover yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Which in the budget of your walk with Christ, it, it makes you not spend too much time on the things that don't matter when you think that way. Well, the preliminary on that story is a Levite and a priest. Right. 
who are too busy to stop and do the things that mattered, right? Because we were too busy doing ministry to do the things that mattered. Martha and Mary, that story, you you find that problem. Mm. One knew be at the feet of Jesus, one was busy. And I think that's something that convicted me about the sermon as well, is that I've got to find time to not just be busy for God, but to be spending the time on what matters and what counts. And instead of, I love how you chose to phrase that, as an elective. Hmm. And I know missions for me has been an elective. It's a course that doesn't count towards the credits. So I'm trying to reshape that in my life. And instead of being so available for the things that are administrative or the weekly service going well, being more focused on the things that actually do count and that do matter. I think it'd be super interesting to preach a message where you set it up that, so Jesus was traveling on this road from Jericho and when he got jumped and he got beat down and he was stripped naked, you know, those kinds of things, people robbed him still. Just, just don't even say, just tell it that it was Jesus that that happened to. And then this priest came by and went the other way. This Levite came by and went the other way. It literally says they went on the other side of the road which is amazing, right? And so, and then have the outcast come up and save Jesus. You remember that story? Remember that one where Jesus was, uh, and people go, it wasn't Jesus. It was, no, no, no. He said, if you've done it unto the Mm -hmm. least of these, these, you've done it unto me. So in fact, I've never preached that sermon that way, but it wouldn't be a bad one. No, not at all. To say, you know, this is actually it, right? We're serving people. And we, we try to get close to that here. We try to say that every person you've ever met is a person for whom Christ died to kind of lift the veil and shake us from our prejudices and different things like that, our walls and our screens, to recognize every single person you've ever met, the most annoying, the axe murderer-ish kind of, I mean, everybody, the pious, the everyone, a person for whom Christ died. And he loved them so much, I can love them, should love them, want to love them, will love them. But it's not just that. It's they're him. In his mind, the, the equation is, you do this to these people, you do this to me. And and the least of them, we could easily say, oh, the little guys, you know, the little kids and suffer the little children and all that. But think of the socially marginalized Mm -hmm. inequities in our culture, insecurities, housing insecurity and food insecurity and all these kinds of things. And for us to look and, and, and recognize Jesus I don't think it's a stretch. No, <laughs> I think no. it's uh, kind of what he's calling us us to see. And you, Andy, interchanged words when you were talking at the beginning using the word mission, because that's in our series. And you interchanged the word with engagement, which is what I'm hearing already, what we are starting to talk about. What does it look like to engage all the people that you listed? What is it to engage the Holy Spirit? What is it in to engage yeah, in conversation? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so thanks. All the so, ways you can use engage. So steps four and five in our eight steps, we have this path, and we say that if you do all eight steps, we guarantee you'll have abundant life. And then I say, truth in jest, that leave one out, deals off, right? So step four and step five are about others. They're about freedom, and they're about connection. But what we say about step four, we call it connection. And step five, we call it engagement. 
And most people don't know what that means, and right. I get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. But they right. also, there's a connotation that goes with mission because people immediately go to a hut in Africa. Yeah. So a stereotypical reaction. Yeah, I'm not going to necessarily change the word engagement, mm-hmm. uh, but... but uh, what that and what actually is, And defines. what does connection mean as well, right? Connection isn't just a bunch of people in the same room. You can be in a, uh, a packed room and be lonely mm-hmm. in, a, in a packed room. You're not alone, but you're lonely. So what does connection look like? And uh, depth of revealing intimacy into me see. So that would be what connection is about, right? Uh, and then we call it a life group, mm-hmm. sharing your life. Step five, which is engagement, we call it a love group. And our goal here is to actually have these connect groups, which are life groups, become love groups. So if we're leading a small group at our house, it's a freedom group or it's a book club or we have, uh, there's a men's breakfast that happens here, or we, we all go on bike rides on Saturday or whatever. That's cool. That's a connection group. And especially if we share our life, right? If everybody got on their bikes and we rode around together and no one talked, remember when we used to lead those hikes out east? Delia and I were talking about this the other day with stuff to do with students. And I said, we had these mountains, you know, and they weren't like brutal, but they were, you know, half hour, hour hike. And you get to the top, and it was strenuous enough. You felt like you did something. But intentionally, we'd get to the top. We'd sit around. We'd break out our backpacks, eat our snacks. And then we'd talk about praying for each other. And, you know, how you doing, what's going on, highs and lows around the circle, which became prayer requests. And that's into me, see. So that's the point of connection. The engagement piece is when you take those life groups and turn them into love groups, where I'm doing something to serve you. Becoming a face in the... In someone's story. Mm-hmm. Partnering with the Lord and partnering with them. So the things that they show and reveal about their life, you're not just like, oh, okay, but how can I step into that, join with you... Walk beside. Mm-hmm, and truly be missional. Truly be missional in that. And they're serving that way, serving others that way. And then they're serving step seven, which is serving Sunday. Like serving the family, serving in-house. So uh, one, uh, this, this engage step is really about outflow, that there's not necessarily any return, you know, no reciprocity in it. You just go out and serve people as unto the Lord. I think about when, you, when you're saying that, I think, Melinda, you referenced in your, uh, in your sermon that having a ministry of presence is what you said. Mm, that's right. And I, I really like that, like the, because I think some people, when... Uh, someone is in a situation or something difficult or something hard, right? Right. Or un- uh, just I, uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Um, just being present, like be, your presence is enough, right? Like it, we can say that about God as well. Like his right. presence is enough. Yeah. But, but also for us as well to be Christ in those moments is to just sit and be in those uncomfortable. And I, I wrote down uh, opening our heart wider to empathize, right? To empathize. Mm. And that's, I think that's what we're talking about. This, this we'll say love group or what we are saying engage is to going out in one aspect to be with the others, to live life and engage and love others. And that's the mission. That's the mission of the church. The right. mother church is right. what we've been talking around. And so, um, being in the mess, <laughs> being in those spaces, and not even having to say a word, yeah. right? Like just being there. Right. I think of one time I I, I remember uh, somebody's 
uh, called me and I was I was like, well, I'll, send, I'll forward it to Andy <laughs> and I'll have Andy uh, go meet with you, right? Because I didn't know what to say, yeah. what to do, or yeah. have I ever been in this situation? Right. And Andy was like, well, if they wanted me to be there, they would have <laughs> called me. And so why don't you go ahead mm. and go? You know, and I was like, well, what do I, what, what should I do? What's it, whatever. He's like, man, just listen and feel it out. Yeah. And when, and the person had lost, it was a couple and the wife had lost her mom or mm -hmm. dad or something. Yeah. And I remember sitting, just pulling up and knocking on the door and I was there for about an hour and a half. There's no you know, words, right? There I are no did, words. I used zero words. I just yeah. listened, yeah. right? Just listening, yeah. um, just being there. Um, and that expresses that expresses love, right? It does. And, um, I think in, in all these instances, I, I, I try to think of these few things, like in these situations, like loving, like I want to love, whatever that can look like in this moment. I want to listen. I want to discern Right. And respond in some way. Right. Like I want but not respond so much to have an answer, but just even if it's just like, man, that's hard. Well, that's <laughs> right. the uncomfortable place, yeah. right? Because you want to then fix it or then say yeah, the exactly. word that will bring peace or whatever when actually there are times when there's not peace yet. Yeah. 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 So you can there's actually a counseling technique, um, it's called motivational interviewing. And one of the one of the parts of that or techniques of that is that you label you listen, you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. Now, we're, motivational interviewing means you're interviewing people for change, yeah. for life change. But same goes. You're, you're listening, and what you do is you label what they say. And they tell you something, right? And you simply say what you just said. You go, whoa, that sounds, that sounds super hard. Yeah. Or that seems like that would be very difficult to navigate or you're just labeling what you heard. Yeah. Uh, that seems like that would really tear you several different ways, you know, just different things like mm -hmm. that. And what it shows is an empathy and you're listening and presence. And, uh, it's an effective tool, mm -hmm. uh, because it helps people have space to continue mm -hmm. to share and, and talk through that. And when you were, when you'd started before you referenced the story of you, you and I talking and you going there, I thought, man, if anybody's been a minister for 15 days, a pastor for a minute, you know, you get invited into these situations. And uh, as you called me one day, I had another young man I was mentoring up in uh, Wisconsin. He called and he said he was headed. He goes, man, I am headed to the hospital right now. And a young couple in our church lost a baby. And I have no idea what to say. And I told him, I said, buddy, you don't have to say a thing. There's nothing more. And then I heard this a little bit later, and it said, the greater the tragedy, the fewer the words. Yeah, which should really, 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 I hope, help people to recognize, because it's, it's a little counterintuitive, right? We think the greater the tragedy, now I really have to be articulate, and now I really have to be smart. But the wisdom in it is that the greater the tragedy the fewer the words. And let me just be super practical. Sometimes not saying something is so much better than saying something because you're going to say the wrong mm. thing. Yeah. Preach, preacher. <laughs> I'm not I mean, seriously. Yeah, like you're going to say yeah. some stupid thing like Jesus must have wanted them or I know what you're feeling. And they're going to, I hope they do turn on you <laughs> and say, you have no idea what I'm feeling. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. That kind of stuff happens. Yeah, and, yeah. and I have been invited into the, the reason I say that is because I've been invited into the, the stories of people processing those missteps, right. right? The family that had the loss, when I'm meeting with them at a later time, will share the stories of insensitivity. Mm. And listen, I get it. I understand yeah. your heart is to the help them. Is to, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But that still doesn't mean you didn't wound them. Mm-hmm. So the idea of recognizing I don't have to say things, I don't have to, here's, what I, here's what's helped me. I don't have to be Jesus' defense attorney. Like I have never felt like I had to be God's defense attorney. That's good. Like why did this happen and what happened? And what? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't feel like I have to know. And I trust that God is good and I get that it feels like that is so far away. I, I don't know. And the I don't know part and not having to defend God. I figure if God is God, he can defend himself. I don't know. And it's not me not standing up for him. I just don't know. No, we don't know. It's That's without words. I don't have yeah. words. I don't even know what to say. That is hard. I, I, and I will say, I have no idea what you're going through. One time years ago, this was early 2000s. Emma wasn't born yet. So this was over 20 years ago. Melinda and I were at a church, and it was a large congregation, and I think everybody's on Christmas break except us, and we happened to be staying in town. They were all on kind of vacation, you know? And so we got a call a couple days after Christmas, and it was from one of our families in the church, and they had a bunch of teenagers, and one of them was a 17-year-old boy, the son. His name was Paul. And we got a call that, that the dad had a heart attack that morning, fell out of bed, died on the floor, boom, just, just instantaneously. And so we were the ones on call. And I remember pulling up to their house, walking up that sidewalk, just opening the door, walking in. There was like a little mud room. And then I turned left and went down this long hallway into the kitchen. And Paul is walking toward me. And I open my arms to him and he falls into my shoulder. And he says to me, uh, Brother Smith, he goes, this sucks. And I said, it gets worse, pal. And I hugged him. I said, then it gets better. Then it gets worse. Then it gets better. We'll get through it, man. Now, I tell you that story because I was a 17-year-old when my dad fell over dead heart attack. This kid's 17-year-old dad fell over dead instantly heart attack. Like, That's about as close as I've ever gotten Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the story with someone and being able to look at them and go, buddy, I get it. You know, I don't know that I would ever respond to anyone else when they're like, this is horrible. And I come right off the chute and say, and it gets worse. Number one, he and I had this relationship. It, it, we had a you several were a years. You face in his story. Big time. <laughs> big time face in his story. I was his youth pastor. Yeah. And we had uh, probably at that time years of relationship. Uh, and it was so similar. But that's about as close as I've ever, probably the closest I've ever gotten to parallel paths in a story. Same age, dad, heart attack, whole thing, instantaneous, all that stuff. But most of the time, even though we've been through something, we just don't know. And I think it's a kindness to not be presumptuous and act like we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and be okay with that. Yeah. It's not a it's not a weakness for me to look at you and say, I have no idea what you're going through right now. I think that's okay. But we what would you say? And I know this it's gotta be so hard. I love you. Know that. And I'm gonna be sitting right over here. 
We've traveled hours and hours on the road to sit in an ER room with people and just nothing sit there. to say. <laughs> just sit there. Yeah. If they need something, well, can we get you something? We're just going to be over here praying for you. Know that we love you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the, the respond that I think of. I think of discerning and responding like discerning, okay, like I need to say nothing. Like, Lord, <laughs> I, or I need to pray in this moment. I need to walk over and hug this person, you know, like, or just hug them, right? Like, not to respond, what the mind that we think, right, is where we have this conception of we need to respond with words and wisdom and helping them, helping move them out of this space. Move them out of grief. Move them out of this space, and that's not Which is not doing a service. No, it's not. Because then, now you're just blocking that that healthy part of it, right? That that you're not meaning to. In some respects... moving people out of grief is a disservice because grief is how you metabolize loss. That's what grief is. Grief is the metabolizing of a loss. And we all say there's no, you know, perfect way to grieve. No, absolutely right way. There are probably some wrong ways. Maybe, I mean, you know, self-destructive ways, but you're helping them metabolize loss. And what I think of is if you've got the, the caterpillar and it's in the cocoon and we cut the cocoon, and we let, we're letting the caterpillar free. We're hurrying up the process. We have done a disservice to that future butterfly, right? right. They were not in that space to be Strong able to it. stretch their wings. Yes, and I, I get that stretching your wings and going through a traumatic loss is not necessarily ever on the same page. But the idea of trying to hustle something through, I've even heard this. this is, I feel like we, we talked about this one week here. Uh, I was trained as a counselor to, to not give people Kleenex when they're crying. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about this? Not give people Kleenex. Like if we're sitting here talking. Well, it breaks and, the rhythm, and right? Well, they're crying and I'm, I hand you a Kleenex. We all think we're helping you. Right. But what I was taught, and I'm not saying it's right, but I am bringing it up for consideration, yeah. right? That I'm giving you the Kleenex because I'd like you to quit crying. <laughs> I'd like you to wipe your tears and stop crying, mm-hmm. which I think has a little bit of validity. That's why I bring it up. I think it has a little bit of validity. Just the underlying principle. Well, to, yeah. just to consider that, right? I don't know that I ever, when they said it to me, I was like, what? Well, I've seen when all the fluids uh, are coming out and they stop to wipe. Sometimes they don't they finish. They stop that. It doesn't right. finish the grieving. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and when they said that to me in the training, I was like, well, I would only give them a Kleenex. <laughs> To help them, like yeah. their mascara's running or they got yeah. snot dripping down their yes. face or what. I'm only trying to help, but, and that's our whole point here, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not talking about your motive. We're talking about the wisdom of the moment. We're trying to impart wisdom here, right? We're not talking about your motive. You're well, trying it's to about being them. uncomfortable, and so we have to push through our Being okay human with nature. us being uncomfortable, with either not understanding what's going on, not having a frankly a Christian answer that works, feeling helpless, and feeling helpless in the moment, and allowing God the way fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Grieving is not a, a tool of Satan. Like grieving, <laughs> grieving is how God made us. Well, that needs to be on a like post or something on social media, man. <laughs> well, I mean that's important. That's very important. Well, you can look up the tears. You can look this up. You Google search this. Yeah. The chemical makeup of sad tears, that chemical makeup is different than other kinds of tears, happy tears. The chemical makeup is different. And implied, I don't know if this is absolute, but implication is that those chemicals are released from my body on purpose, fearfully and wonderfully made, 
so that they tend to depression when they're retained. So I release them. You can look that up. It reminds me of my weightlifting coach. So you know that. Oh, you had to say that. You had to get that in my my weightlifting coach. I've been roasted at Christway. You know, this had to be decades ago. But he used to always tell me I get so focused on the sweat. He's like, stop wiping the sweat. Hmm. It's there to cool you down and Hmm. get your work. It's there for your body's need that you don't even know you have. So you're so focused on that that it's causing you not to focus on what's at hand. And I think about what is the training for that? That's what I was sitting thinking about. And I think some of the training for learning to deal with what Melinda was talking about, those awkward implications of what you're saying, of watching a person cry, that's why I think it's good to exercise sitting in silence, Mm. not having to always come up with something to say. And as I'm getting older, I'm learning. I haven't learned it, but I've learned to do that because later it's a training ground for those situations where you think that resolution is what people need. And they don't need you to resolve anything. They just need you to be there. And so I think that that's a good practice to sit in silence, to learn to meditate, and to learn not to always feel like you have to respond immediately to everything, to every need. One of the fundamentals of group process, when you're running a small group or you're with family and they're struggling in a space like that, if you can survive the silence, it's just that awkward. Because it's awkward. There's no question about it. It's an awkward silence. But what we have to be is we have to be wiser frankly, smarter than what we're working with in this scenario and recognize that I, I understand what's going on here. And you know what? Somebody will pop off with some silly, ignorant something mm-hmm. just to fill it with noise, and you lost it. But when you can survive the silence... As a group. And someone comes back, maybe the same person that was the last one to speak, maybe they're crying, maybe they're trying to get what a composure, and they come back, here's what's happened. That entire group has gone to a deeper level of trust. Because frankly, there was something very awkward. No one interrupted it. We didn't short circuit it. We all walked through the awkward. We survived it. And the whole trust level in the group, deeper. Yeah. Every time you allow that to happen. And it's absolutely true. It's the first time I've really practiced that in the last five years. I come from a very large family and it's like silence was a demon. It's like, we got to go, we got to put something in there. And man, the controversies can grow and grow and grow when you try to fill space. Uh, I'm thinking of meetings that we've had where we've had a conversation and we just sit in silence. And on the back end of that, it's almost like we all get a download. So I think that's a good way to practice for what we're talking about, is taking that demeanor when there is nothing that you're dealing with specifically. Then when you get to those times, that practice is employed automatically. Yeah. And I must also mention in the last 10 years, we suddenly have a computer in our hand. Mm-hmm. And I think we've lost some of that skill just by default, where if you're standing in line, instead of just standing there, like we did back in the 70s, right? We pull out and we can do all kinds of things. Or uh, we sit in a waiting room. Instead of picking up a book or a magazine like we would have now, we're or scrolling. Good conversation. And then those teenagers that are having conversations at the dinner table with their phone or 
they have an earphone in and you didn't see it on the other side and they're multitasking, which means they're not tracking something. Yeah. So, so easily distracted. And if there's a minute, we're going to get on our phones and that's just probably kind of exasperated what we're talking about here where it's hard to just sit and not get on our phones and being, just being aware of it, not feeling condemnation. This is a new thing that we're trying to figure out as parents and as human beings when to use that for good and when it is perhaps distracting us. I, I was going to say that, uh, Andy, you mentioned earlier, like the when we were talking about the Samaritan and um, walking on the path, and there was the Levite and uh, the priests that were they're too busy. And I just I was thinking about the word when we talk about what is living, uh, what is our mission, what is our role in this mission, which is kind of what you talked about, like what is how can we do that? I was thinking about just availability, right? Like there was the busyness and then there was the availability and the generosity. You mentioned that as well, like Mm -hmm. living in a generous way. Mm. Like I think of generous is is sacrificial, right? Mm -hmm. You're sacrificing to be generous. Mm -hmm. You're sacrificing to be available, Mm -hmm. right? Like those things, it requires uncomfortableness, right? right? Like all those, exactly what all we're talking about is just this availability of... And, and, and willingness to even do that, right? Like just willingness to be able to sit in silence, willingness to be able to sit in uncomfortableness and willingness to what you may feel like is silly to not say anything, right? Like just the willingness and availability to do that, again, speaks so much more words than saying anything, mm-hmm. right? And doing anything, but also to what is our role in that as, right. as a part of that? I think we that's about that a lot. Yeah. what we're waiting for the spirit to tell us individually mm-hmm. or just stopping long enough to actually remember what our role is. We may already know that mm-hmm. and just haven't focused on it. Yeah. yeah. I think of a person that does a service. Um, you know, I've got some people doing some yard work, helping me with something. I've got a guy working on a boat motor, helping me with something, right? And if the guy gives me a bill, we had a faucet that needed fixed recently, and you know I'm just going to make up a number, $130. The guy comes, you know, it's $130 fix, and I pay him $130. No one goes, man, I'm so generous of you. It was tit for tat. Like, that's what you did. That's what I paid. We're even. That's not generous. Generous is when I give you more, more. with my time or with my presence. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I give you and then I'm expecting something in return. Yeah. Generosity is generosity because there is no return mm-hmm. directly on that investment from the very person that is the recipient. Right? You're just you're just putting it out there. Your time, I'm happy to give you more. Mm-hmm. Now, what the Lord does with all that, he says, I'll never owe you. Mm-hmm. I'll always repay in full yeah. and then some. But that generosity of our of our time Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea that I'm I'm busy and I'll serve people that that serve my mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you said I think at closing, uh you came up and you said that there was a guy who uh mentioned a promise to God, right? He said, um He said I'll give something away every yeah, day for the yeah, rest of my every life. Every single day. And And he had done it. Yeah, and, and what what is again, what does our mind go to when I give well, a bike, uh yeah. money. Yeah. But really, the time, yeah. right? Like, I'll give I'll give away some of my time today, right? Like, because again, I'm gonna be available. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little bit more of what whatever this time looks like. Like, 
oh, I stopped by and, you know, and said hi. But actually, you know, you need help with that. I will help you. Right. right you now. were there and you found out the help they actually needed. Yeah. Or with the story of the bike at the end of the sermon was he was, this person was serving, doing something for hours. Yeah. And saw the opportunity to give away the bike. So it wasn't even about the bike. No. Necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Right? A gift to a stranger. But he had just put himself in a place where a stranger could walk by when he realized, ah, I brought the bike for that person, not for my friend. Yeah. 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 So cool. (laughs) It's the, we can close out, I guess, but it's the, it's the productivity tension is what I feel. Mm. I'm thinking about my phone that our phones have a thing on them called do not disturb. (laughs) And I can hit that do not disturb. And I used to run that periodically. I'd have it on there. And there's one thing when it's, you know, do not disturb while I'm driving. So you don't distract me from driving. There's another thing that is don't call me while I'm working. Mm. Except when you're in the ministry, the people that are calling you, according to this parable that we're talking about, this story, they, Mm. they are, they are your work. Right. And so the tension and frankly, there's a there's a huge tension. And and I run that tension every week of ministry is what what am I? Am I a pastor or am I a CEO? Is that my office or is that my study? Is this a business or is this a church? And the tensions are very true. They're very real. And and I'm not even telling you where I land the plane on that. I'm just saying. It, and it goes back and forth. And there are moments when, like, I have to do this particular administrative work. And if I see you, it's almost like going on vacation. Emails don't stop, right? I still have to address those later. Maybe my sacrifice is I have to stay up late or em- employ others to help me finish something administratively. But what's the, what's, and then that's where we get to, we get to pray, right? And, and letting the Lord guide us and lead us and, and, and frankly, mentor us. Right, uh, Jesus would go away to pray by himself for sure. Mm-hmm. Nobody was interrupting that. But then there are times he's on his journey, and when we did this thing last year, reading through the scripture, the thing that struck me was in the book of, I feel like it was, well, it was in the Gospels. I was going to say Luke. I don't think it matters where it is, but people would interrupt him. Like he had a place he was going, mm-hmm. and then someone would call out to him. Someone would like interrupt his journey, and then he'd heal them. He that's wasn't, what was written about. He wasn't going to heal them. Right. But on his way somewhere else, mm. they got his attention, mm-hmm. and they got a miracle out of it, a healing out of it, because they grabbed his attention and brought him over yeah. when he was doing something else, which means he gave space for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even the disciples tried to run interference for him. Yeah. They're like, don't bother him. Right now he's, he's busy. <laughs> and he would say, whoa, 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 right? Allow, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Allow him to come to me. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest gift that we're going to realize over the summer is the fact that we are intentionally continuing to unpack this is going to be the gift. So we just need to pay attention. Mm -hmm. We just need to like catch our breath and realize that it's when we're serving in one place, we're available or what, what is generosity? And then you're just paying attention. And then that's when God gets to, let us join in what he's already doing. Would you be willing to pray us out on that awareness? Yeah. You make the good points. You have to pray. So oh, that's, okay. how this works. <laughs> that's, why, that's, that's the rule. That's how this works. <laughs> it's rule of Last good point. Praise. Oh, okay. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, for an opportunity to continue to handle your word and your concepts. Um, you were sacrificial and you're generous every day with us. And so 
Um, not only are we wanting to make sure that we're not ignoring or overlooking those who are vulnerable and that we're full of mercy, but that we are going and doing likewise and that we're serving. So I ask as a congregation, as individuals, as um, we process through this the rest of the week, talk amongst ourselves that you will continue to guide our conversation and bring out the truth that we be led by your spirit and that we be uh, known for our love towards each other because that's how they will know that we're disciples of you so fill us with your agape love and the overflow of that will be our generosity and our joy in sacrificing and our joy in sitting and being uncomfortable so we thank you again for your word and for your presence and for our community I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the rich conversation today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, our prayer is that uh, something uh, went your way that you were able to catch, something that you were able to get your mind and your hands and your heart around. And uh, let the Lord change your life as you change the lives of others. That's our prayer for all of us. Uh, so until next time, uh, blessings, grace, and peace, and take care.